Good morning, church. I, oh, come on. I know it was a somber, kind of reflective video here, but uh, good morning, church. I wore my, my spring tie because spring is here and I need all the reminders and encouragement I can get because it certainly doesn't feel like that at all. But spring is here and that means that Easter is coming and we are in a season called Lent. And Lent is a season of preparation for our souls. It's a season in which we are reminded of the fact that we are dust and to dust we will return. Our bodies were created mortal and yet we are in the image of God and we are intended for eternity And the good news of Easter is that Jesus, God himself, takes on flesh and uh, atones for our sinfulness, which separates God. And we, and we, we will get to all of that. We will get to all of that as our sin is it separated us. But first we have to understand who we are, and then as we press into Holy Week, we get to understand and see who Jesus is. And that's exciting, and we need to be able to honestly do some good reflective self-evaluation. Two weeks ago through this series, as we're going through it, uh, we talked about the, the need for confession in our lives, that we approach in humility and we confess and God gives forgiveness. Last week we talked about the need for help in our lives and that as we ask for help, again with a posture of humility, that God is a God who delights in giving help to his people. And this morning, we are going to talk about worship. I will put forth, and you can decide as you walk out of here today, my argument is simply this. Church, if we do not know how to do this well, if we don't do worship well, if we don't experience or know what that is in our lives personally, and if we cannot enter into it corporately, our journey with Jesus is severely hindered. Our witness to the world is severely hindered. With God, all things are possible, but if we do not get worship, the world around us looks upon us and says, what are you doing? If that's all there is. We're going to spend some time discussing this, unpacking that this morning. Let's pray. God, We thank you for the opportunity to come here to gather and we trust, Lord, that as we speak about and try to get our minds around worship, that you would be at work both in our minds and in our heart that ultimately we would be transformed more into your likeness as we leave here to your glory. We pray this in your precious and holy name, amen. Psalm 95, it starts with this. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the highest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it in his hands formed the dry land to come. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. I love how the psalmist starts this out because if you were here last week, Pastor Brad talked about our, our need for help. 
And as they were journeying to Jerusalem and they saw the mountains, and that psalm spoke of the fact that the mountains are there, and within that there's danger. There's fear in those mountains. That's where bandits hide. That's where they come sneaking out and, and attack you. And the seas, they're chaotic. Storms can be, can be swept up out of nowhere. People die when they're out in the sea, in the ocean sometimes. They looked at the ocean as chaos. And this psalm starts off, he says, yes, the mountains are there. The depths of the earth are there. The ocean is there. But God holds it all in his hands. That's good news. All we perceive, all we see is fear. We see anxiety. We see uncertainty. We do not know what's going on in the world. And the psalmist says, do not fear because God holds all of this in his hands. And that must be a pretty amazing God to hold all of this in his hands. And so then he says, come, let us worship and bow down. Worship. Worship is to be understood as maybe bringing something to God, but what is the something that we bring? Do we bring our tithe? Uh, do we bring some money? Do we bring, what, what, what do we bring in worship to this God who holds our deepest fears, our deepest anxieties, our deepest uncertainties all in the palm of his hand? What do we bring to him? We bring our lives. We bring our very lives to this God and we say, now I will worship you with my life. What does that mean? What does it mean to worship God? In the Hebrew, the word here translated worship is shaka. Isn't that a fun word to say? You can say it if you want. Shaka. Yeah, you can, if, if you like Star Trek, you can say it like a Klingon. Shaka. You know, uh, is like, what a fun word to say. Shaka. And of the words in, that, that's translated, into our um, English Bibles, whenever we see the word worship, it appears roughly 180, 185 times. 160 of those times in both the Hebrew as well in the Greek have this meaning. It means to prostrate, to bow, to fall down flat in homage or, or honor or respect of royalty. To fall down flat in front of royalty. That's what that means. When Jesus speaks of worship in the New Testament, this is what he's speaking of. This action of humbling yourself before a king. Other times, the, the, there's adoration compiled with that. It only, that only appears maybe 20, 25 times throughout the whole rest of the scripture. Without a doubt, the strongest emphasis is on this action of bowing down and taking a knee. So let me ask you, church, we are Americans. When was the last time you took a knee or bowed to anybody? We don't do that. We got sick of doing that 200 plus years ago, and we said, we're not taking a knee anymore to King George. No way. So we had this great big revolution. We do not do that. But if we, in, in our posture now, have kind of gotten away from this understanding of taking a knee, of bowing, we are limiting ourselves in our understanding of what worship means. Worship unto our king. Worship unto our God. And so this morning, we need to spend some time looking at that, pulling it apart a little bit. 
You see, in times of old, kingship was important. To be under a king's rule meant something. Your happiness, your sustenance, your safety, all of these things were ultimately dependent on the generosity of the authority. And what did the king expect in return? What did he want from his subjects? Their worship, their obedience, their submission. Those are hard words for us right now. We don't like those words. But in worship, it is to assume a posture of humility, literally to lay flat before your God. So this morning, we're really just going to talk about three things. What is worship? And it's, it's that. It's prostrating yourself. It's, it's kneeling before this creator God. And because that's such a foreign concept to us, we need to understand why would we do that? And lastly, how does that look in our Christian worship? So the question of why should we worship? See, I think most of us are really comfortable with the idea of um, God as Father. Jesus taught us to pray that. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That kingdom come, you know. He taught. God is like a Father. So I am suggesting, and I'm sure many of the men here will agree with me, I'm suggesting that maybe we adopt a new policy that as men, as we enter at home, our children all should bow to us and say, welcome home, Father dear. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe that's how we should approach it. it. It feels so weird to think of bowing before our Father. A Father is somebody, when you walk in the door, he gives you a hug. You run up to him and give him a hug that you desire to sit on his lap. Tell him about your day. There's intimacy with a Father. And this whole notion of, of taking a knee before your Father and bowing your head as the father would come into the room. It just doesn't sit right with us. So Mikey and I, as I was putting this together, Mikey's our youth pastor. Mikey loves everything Robin Hood and everything medieval. If, there, if it involves men in tights, Mikey is all over it. He loves that stuff. So I was asking Mikey, I said, Mikey, do princes ever kneel before their fathers and mothers, the king and queen? Would a prince ever kneel and Mikey said this, he says, well, either they kneel or they're plotting to kill him. Oh, church, think about that for a moment, right? What happened in the garden when we decided we are no longer going to take a knee before our creator God who created us to be his reflection in this world when we decided we want to be in charge? We stopped taking a knee and we started plotting on how can we kill him. The only thing we didn't understand or take into account was the deep measure of our Father's love for us. Praise God for that. Why would we worship? Okay, we got a lot of kids here this morning. That's awesome. I'm going to ask you to use your imagination. Do you have an imagination? I remember my boy Brendan one time, he asked me to play, and I said, oh, Daddy's not feeling very imaginative. And he goes, did you lose your imagination? And I said, yeah, I must have lost it. And he looks at me, and he goes, that's a terrible thing to lose. So I want you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine that this would be a throne room, that this is where the king and the queen would sit right up here. And I'm kind of kind of move out of the way a little bit. But imagine that, that the king and the queen are sitting right up here and that you have been invited into this throne room. All right? You've been invited in here to 
come before this king and queen. And the question then becomes, why, when you come in, why would you bow down before that king and queen? What is motivating you to do this? Why would you bow? Why would you take this posture? There are six reasons that I came up with that I think we would bow before a king or a queen. And all of them, interestingly enough, I think also tie into how we approach our God. The first is we would come and we would bow before the king. We bow in front of the royalty because we are in trouble. We've been summoned by the authority and we are in trouble and we bow and we beg for mercy. Please, 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 please forgive me. I won't ever do it again. This is the only time my kids ever bow in front of me, right? When I open the door, I come home and they meet me at the door and they're on their hands and knees. This is the only reason. Please, 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 please. Whatever mommy tells you, have mercy. They're begging for forgiveness. They know that what has happened has caused a separation. There's been something wrong and they are motivated by fear to take a knee before the king, before the authority. Another reason that we might take a knee is that we have been summoned by the authority and we are to receive an honor. Okay, imagine that. Imagine that, that the king invites you into the castle because he wants to give you a great reward, a great treasure. And as you come and as you take a knee before the, the king, as you acknowledge that this king is greater than you, you're also acknowledging that what he's about to give you is greater. I think about the words of Jesus that he talked about in the parable of the sheep and the goats. Someday as all of us stand before our God, our creator, our king, and we desire so deeply to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So we would come because we're about to receive an honor. Another reason, not very nice, is that we patronize the authority in order to get something. The king has something that we want. The king is kind of the ATM, the king is the vending machine. And so we come and we say, what do I need to do in order to get this? God, how many times do I need to go to church in a month in order to get what I want? God, how many verses do I have to memorize in order to get what I want? We begin to treat God like a vending machine, like a genie in a bottle. And that is not at the heart of the worship that God desires from us. We're motivated here by our own agenda, our own interest. Another reason that we might kneel before the authority is that we're forced to. Imagine you come up here and the king says, uh, you must kneel before me, and you say, absolutely not. There's no way I'm kneeling before you. I don't like your teeth. I don't like your clothes. There's no way I'm going to kneel before you. And the, and the king looks over at his strongest knight and, and says, uh, Sir, would you assist this peasant in their kneeling before me? And they go and they force you to kneel. Sometimes we have that posture. We feel like we are being forced into something. This one's even worse. We bow because everyone else is doing it. Oh, boy. We take a knee We bow, we come into this experience of corporate worship and we don't really know what we're doing it, but we're gonna do it because everybody else is doing it. And maybe if I seem to do it better than everybody else, they'll think I'm a super spiritual person. Our motivation is to look good in the eyes of those that are around us. 
Jesus had harsh words for Pharisees who were doing that. Harsh, harsh words. Finally, we humble ourselves before the authority out of a genuine recognition of identity. God, you are king, and I am not. And we bow out of a genuine recognition of the authority of God in our lives. And this, our motivation, what should motivate us is an understanding and a recognition and a realization of God's incredible love for you and for me. When we come before God, we bow and we take a knee, we fall at his feet out of a genuine appreciation for the love that he has poured out on us. This is what Jesus came to show us. This is the worship that Jesus leads us into. Do you understand the deep love that the Father has for you? Do you understand how hard and how long God is pursuing you and how he, even though you you tried to kill him in the garden, he has been pursuing you. Because God loves you. And when you recognize that, when you accept that, when you put that on, when you see yourself as one who is under the love and the forgiveness of God, suddenly your worship is done in gratitude, thankfulness. We are motivated by that. Psalm 95 verse 7 goes on to say, For he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. He is our God. He is the Lord. And when we approach and worship, we ask that, okay, why would we worship God like this? Why would we worship our Lord like this? Why would we worship Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Why would we worship? Does our worship somehow change God? I would say no. The character and quality of God is not changed by our acknowledgement of God. In other words, God does not exist simply because we want God to exist. God exists and invites us into worship. So the qualities and the characteristics of God don't change in worship. So it must change us. I like this quote from Reverend James Hastings. He says this, through real worship, we shall grow to be conscious of a self which is not the doubting self. See, we we come in and we've got all these doubts, we've got all these fears. And he says, but when you enter into worship, you become aware that there is a part to you that's not defined by your doubts and your fears. The wavering self, the self that can't make up your mind as to which direction to go. Should I give in or should I not? The self which looks out for the personal advantages. All of these things which hold us back. The self which is liable to all sorts of shocks and disappointments. But a self that knows it belongs to God. A self that takes a hold of the best and deepest and most spiritual there is in life. A self which draws its nourishment out of the hidden resources of the eternal. Amen. That's a good quote. I need to circle that again. What do I do with my pencil? So, um, authentic spirit-filled worship. In authentic spirit-filled worship, we are changed. Church, we are changed in authentic spirit-filled worship because we see in that moment as we come and we kneel before God, we see and we allow God to speak into our lives who we are at our core. Not what our sin tries to define us as, not our brokenness, not our weakness, but who God created us to be. 
We are changed when we enter into worship. Leads us to the last question. How do we worship? Psalm 95 again starts off with this. If only you would listen to his voice today. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Mesa in the wilderness. For there your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw everything I did. For 40 years I was angry with them. And I said, they are a people whose hearts turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter into my place of rest. There exists a real challenge in worship. How how do we know if our worship is authentic? We don't get to see if God is smiling as we worship. There's not a, you know, we don't have a webcam on God in heaven that we can put up on the screens to see if he's accepting our worship. Wouldn't that be nice? How do we know if God is pleased? Do we know if God accepts our worship that when we walk out of here, suddenly we have a better week than we had coming in? So God must be pleased. Does God answer my prayers after worship? Uh, my worship must have been good. There's got to be more to this. How do I know if my worship is authentic? Authentic worship engages our emotion, our intellect, and our will. Inviting each to be prostrated before God in humility. Inviting each to take a knee. Our emotions, our intellect, our will to take a knee before the creator God, the creator king. Only to be raised up again in submission to the Holy Spirit for the advancement of the kingdom of God. It's right there in the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. What does it mean to love God, to worship him in that way? Here in this passage of scripture, it starts off, if only you, had, if only you would listen to his voice today. If only you would pay attention to God's work in your life today. This is what he's inviting the, the uh, the Israelites, the, the Hebrews, as they're wandering out in the desert, this is what the psalmist is communicating, he's commenting on, he's giving commentary here as he's writing this song. If only you would pay attention to what God is doing in your life today, because as they were out wandering about in the wilderness, they would start to grumble and complain. They'd get a little thirsty, and then they'd start to say, oh, God led us out here just to die of thirst. What a cruel God. Moses, why would you listen to this cruel, horrible God? God, I'm so sick of manna. I'm so sick of eating the same things every day, in and out. God, why would you do this to us? God, we like the onions and the leeks that we had in Egypt much better than our situation right now. And it's as if God is saying, do you not remember that you were slaves in Egypt? Do you not remember that every night you would cry out to me to deliver you from your bondage in Egypt? Do you not remember that I pulled you out of Egypt in a miraculous fashion, the likes of which Egypt will never forget? Have you forgotten that that at the shores of the Red Sea I parted that and you walked through and as Pharaoh pursued, I drowned him in all of his charioteers and soldiers? Have you forgotten that in your hunger I feed you? Have you forgotten that in your thirst I give you water, something to drink? Have you forgotten? Why do you not pay attention to what I am doing in your midst today? How do we worship 
It starts with this. Do not allow your hearts to be hardened. Don't let your hearts be hardened. We fall into that trap far too often. We have our preferences. Things were so much better back then. And we forget what God is doing in our life today. Keep your heart soft. Pay attention to what God is doing in and through you and in and through your heart. You lay your emotions before God. You set them down. We lay our intellects before God. And hear me on this. I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting by, in any way, shape, or form that you check your brain at the door when you come in. That is not the case at all. I encourage you, we need to be thinking critically about what is said in scriptures. We need to be actively engaged in conversations with one another to say, how does this take shape in my life? What is God speaking in and through this? It is not about turning our minds off and just being drones, about doing nothing without thinking about it unless some pastor tells us what to think. That is not the case at all. But it does ask that we would approach in a posture of humility and say, God, I'm willing to accept the fact that maybe you know more than I do that your thoughts are not my thoughts. It's a posture of humility in regarding our minds and our intellects. And then finally, probably the most important, that we must lay down our will before the Lord. Are we willing to obey? Not only is worship to be experienced, finally, not only is worship meant to be experienced, it's also meant to be taught. And that's why I think for our, our children, our teens, I'm glad you guys are in the service. Worship is meant to be taught. Parents, take stock of what is it that we are teaching our children. My good friend, when I used to serve at a church out east, and he would come over and over and after services on Sunday, and he'd go, oh, my son is just so bored. My son is so bored in church. Can't you do anything about it? And I finally just said, Dan, are you bored in church? And he kind of is silent for a little bit. And he goes, yeah, I'm pretty bored in church. Well, what do you think your kid's learning? It's time to beef up the worship. It's time to be in that place where you come before your God and you lay down your, your emotions, you lay down your intellect, and you lay down your agenda and you take up God's. And you know what? If you walk out those doors and your son sees you living a changed life, I bet he's going to start putting the pieces together and start to assume that, holy cow, when dad goes into worship, he comes out a different man. And how is that possible if not by a great and glorious God? I want to have a relationship with God like that. Are we willing to lay it down? Should we be evaluating our worship? Absolutely, you should evaluate your worship, but don't evaluate your worship out in the parking lot, whether you liked the songs or didn't like the songs, whether the preacher talked too long, guilty, or not. Don't evaluate that. Instead, evaluate on Saturday nights before you come in for another opportunity to worship this God and King. Evaluate on Saturday night. God, how was my worship of you this week? 
because I believe that I laid my emotion, I laid my, my, my thoughts, I laid my will before you and you picked me up from that and you spoke truth into my life and then you sent me out into this world to be your hands and your feet. Did I do that? Was I obedient to you? Because if I was, was then my worship of you was authentic. Church, let us evaluate the quality of our worship in that way. That God might be glorified. As we sing this last song here um, this morning, I would invite you to take a posture of worship. So I give you great freedom in this. The song is pretty repetitive. So if you even just want to turn and take a knee, if that would help you in taking a posture of humility, you can do that if you wanted to come forward and take a knee up here. You're welcome to do that. If you want to sit, if you want to raise your hands, if you need to stand, whatever it is for you that you would say, God, this is a physical posturing of my desire to lay down before you. God, I desire to recognize you as king because I recognize what you have done for me. And out of my love, I'm so grateful. Would you pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, God, would you be at work in purifying our worship, refining our worship? Would you begin with our emotions? Would you speak your love into our lives as we carry around confusion and anger and bitterness? Would you speak your words of affirmation that you would call us out of that place of self-loathing and remind us that we are wonderfully and fearfully made, that you have created us with a purpose, none of us are accidents, that you have a plan and a purpose for us if we would simply open our hearts to you. Would you open our minds to remind us that your word does not ever return void and if we have ears to hear you by your Holy Spirit, you will speak truth into our lives. And God, may we be willing to set down our agenda and take up yours. God, that might be the scariest thing of all. But would you do that in our lives? That we would know that our worship unto you is authentic, that we are your people. And we proclaim you and you alone as our God. Receive our worship, we pray. In your name, amen.